The following is from the teaching ministry of First Baptist Church of Royal City, Washington. More teaching like this can be found at graceteaching.net or searching Grace-Oriented Teaching wherever you get your podcasts. Now, here is our speaker. Are we going? There we're going. Okay. Take your Bibles. Open to John 14. I've got four pages. We're not going to do all those. Four verses? What do you mean? One, two, three, four pages. Um, John chapter 14. We spent um, the last three weeks looking in verses um, 11 down through verse 14 here. Um, or the last three weeks looking at this, I think. I don't know. Maybe I said that right. Um, and kind of looking at the connection between doing works and asking in his name. We talked about that. We're, we'll come back to asking because it comes up again in this, uh, in this upper room where Jesus is talking to these people. But if you come to verse 15, where we're going to put in tonight, he says, if you love me, it says you will keep my commands. If you go back to end of John 13, he tells us over there that I'm giving you a new command, singular. So how is it that it now becomes commands, plural? And there's a couple of approaches to this that people take. One of them is that because it's commands here, is that he's referring to the Ten Commandments. He's referring to the whole law. And so there's people that go uh, that route. And then there's other people that come along and they say, well, no, we're not under the law anymore, which we would agree with that. So... Okay, we're, we're fine with that. We realize option number one is off the table. Without going through a lot of scriptures, we realize we're not under the law. So the Ten Commandments are not our guiding principle anymore. We've got, we've got the Holy Spirit that guides us rather than the Ten Commandments, rather than the law. But the other approach that many people take with commands, plural, is to say every time Jesus uses an imperative, that's a form of the Greek, a mood of the Greek verb in which I'm trying to impose my will on you to try to get you to do something, every time that there's an imperative that Jesus used, or that maybe Paul or one of these other people used, well, that's the commands. And that's not necessarily true there. There's lots of imperatives that do not form commands. They don't have any bearing on us in terms of the commands. The reason he has commands here. With, and we we did this not too long ago. I think, in fact, I think we did this back when we were in John 13, but this is just for review here real quickly, is that he restates this command. He restates this command several ways. Okay, He, tells, he talks to us about this, and he tells us that, that you keep my command by laying down your life. You keep this command by, by loving other believers, by loving, you love the Father by loving other believers. Uh, and uh, things like this. And so we have this command restated about five or six different ways by Jesus and by John so that you go from just what is, starts out as a command and you find out that there's a variety of ways that this love that we're to have towards other believers can be expressed and related depending on who you're talking to. And so he says, if you love me, you will keep and we always go over this just because I find so many people, I still and I still run into this a lot, that people look at keep and they always say that that's do. Well, to some degree, doing can be involved in keeping, but that word keep, tereo in the Greek, literally means to keep it safe. And the illustration I've used many times, because this happened, I don't know how many years ago, I think it was one of the 
oh, I'm trying to remember what I was. I was someplace with Peggy because I remember I had on, she bought me this real nice Timex wristwatch. I had, I went through three of them. I still have one in my headboard, but nobody wears wristwatches. Well, Jeremy has his on, but most of us don't wear wristwatches anymore. And so I took mine off and, oh, I see you have one, but yours is an Apple watch. So it's kind of like a phone on your wrist, right? But anyway, um, I had that on and it was a very nice watch and I was going to go run. And when I run, I just sweat like crazy. I mean, it just pours out of me. I'm sopping wet when I get done. And I was going to go run in some race for something. I don't know what we're doing. And I didn't want to get that all gunky and gross. So I took, I was like, what am I going to do with this watch? I don't need a place to, and then I saw Peggy. I said, so I ran over to her before we started. I said, here, could you hold this? Could you keep this for me? I didn't mean for her to keep it for all time and eternity. I didn't mean for her to do anything with it other than to stick it in her pocket or something and keep it safe. And likewise, that's what Jesus is talking about when he says, if you love me, then you will keep or you will keep safe my commands, which means that you're looking at my commands and you're making sure that people understand the commands, making sure you understand the commands, making sure when people mess it up, this is, this is one of the reasons that, I'll be real honest, this is the one one of the reasons that I probably make such a big deal, I think I need that bug spray now. I saw a mosquito buzzing around my leg. Um, I'm fine. I'm, I, I'll be okay, but thank you. Um, it's one of the reasons that I make such a big fuss about um, when people say, what's, what's, God's, what's God's command for us? What's God's chief command for us? And most people run to the statement that Jesus said under the law, that you shall love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and all thy mind. And then the second great command is to love your neighbor as yourself. And uh, when people say that, this is the reason that I'm always going, well, that, that's not our command. Our command is to love one another like he loved us. That's a whole different standard for us to love others like he loved us rather than loving God with everything we've got. Because I don't got a lot of love. I don't got a lot to do that way. But because of the Holy Spirit, we can actually have this. So anyway, there's the, if you love me, if you love me, then you're going to guard my commands. So one of the ways we love Christ is to make sure that people understand accurately, make sure we understand accurately his command to us. That's one of the ways you love him. So we could tell Jesus or God all day long, I love you, I love you, I love you. But if you're not loving the believers, God's up there going, I don't see it. It's a lot of talk, but I don't see it. Or likewise, Jesus Christ is going to go, I don't see you keeping it safe. I don't see you watching it. You're kind of sloppy with that command down there. So this is how, this is one of the ways he says you love me. And that brings us to verse 16. Any, any questions or comments on verse 15 before we move on? The guard is imperative. The guard is imperative. No, it's no. He's just saying, if you love me, you will keep my you will keep my commandment. So, yeah. So is it not plural? Commands. I oh, I just said command, didn't I? Yeah, it's commands. If you love me, you will keep safe, keep under guard, as it were, my my commands. Yes, it is plural. Well, it says commandments. Commandments. Yeah. I just, it was like I was giving Peggy a, Peggy was talking about her Sunday school lesson on Saturday when we were walking and I given her a hard time. I said, you still use the word Israelites? Are we in 1611, King James? It says, everybody in 20th century said Israelis. We say Israelis. We don't say on the news, 
hey, there was an attack and these Israelites, no, we say Israeli, I'm just, I'm joking. I'm, but the same, same thing, commandment, commandment is an older word, older English word. Command, we just use the word command today or commands, plural. So it's the same thing. That's all I'm, is all we're saying. So. But Israelites and Israelis the same thing? Yeah, they're just two different. Ite is just, we still have that. Manhattanites, they're people that inhabit Manhattan. And Israelis or Israelites are people that inhabit the land of Israel. Okay. <laughs> so, I'm not going to go off the rails. Question, though, um, yeah. Commands. Right. Uh, how, so, how do you characterize that? S. Love others as I have loved you. Seems like a singular. Yes. Well, um, we can do this real quick. We can, we can go through some examples of this. So, we have that statement back there. This one actually is saying, if you love me, then you will guard, keep safe my commands. So I would say this is an aspect of keeping that new commandment is that you love Christ by making sure that command is safe. So that's a, that's a variation on that initial command. Then if you go down to verse 21, it says, the one having my commands and keeping them, that is the one that is loving me. Kind of a repetition stating, kind of flipping what he said in verse 15. He's just flipping it the other direction. That's the one loving me. And then, he, and then he attaches a promise. The one loving me, that one will be loved by my father, and I will love him, and I will make myself plainly visible to him. So that's an addition. That's, that's a change up in this. Flip over to chapter 15. Is that how you said that I will make myself plainly visible? Yeah, I will manifest myself to him or by him or make myself visible to him, by him. We'll, oh, yeah. we'll, we'll talk about that more in detail when we get there. Okay, okay. But, uh, Where are we putting? Uh, 1510. 1510 says, it says, if you keep my commands, then you will abide or be at ease in my love, even as or compared to the way I kept my father's commands, and I've remained or abided in his love. So another aspect of this is you, not only when you keep his command, you're also abiding in his love. So... And I, I, sadly, sad, and I have to say sadly, sadly, have an example of this of an individual that I'm going to give the I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt that she was a believer because she could tell you what the gospel was. But she was so she struggled every time she was at church here. Peg knows exactly what I'm talking about. Um, but she had this problem again and again that she always just go. Oh, but I'm so unworthy that he should love me. I'm so unworthy. Oh, how could he love me? And I just, after a while of yeah. listening to her say this, I said, you know what? We're all unworthy. Oh, but you don't know how unworthy I am. And I said, trust me, you went around and asked everybody in here. Everybody's got dirty laundry. Oh, but mine is so much. Hey, I don't care what you think. I don't know. Maybe almost a sense of pride. Almost a sense of pride that she was just the most horrible yeah. person that she could imagine. But this is what it came down to. I kept telling her, because we happened to be teaching in John at the time, and I said, I said, what you need to learn to do is you need to be able to come and just abide in his love and just say, he loves me. Did I deserve it? No. And just appreciate that. That's what abiding is. Not going, I'm so unworthy of your love. How, how can you love me? Just abide in it. That's what abiding is. Be at ease. Be comfortable. You know? I don't go to bed at night. All, pay, what, what do I say almost every night when I lay down in bed? 
love my bed. I love my bed. I say it almost every <laughs> night. I'm like, oh, this feels so good. Why did we sit in the Why did we sit in the living room for an extra half hour? We should have been laying in bed earlier. This is nice. Can we all Just... take it for a test drive. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding. I lay down in the thing. And I'm just. Today, so yeah. <laughs> I lay down and then I'm just like, oh, this is so good. I don't lay there going, oh, I'm so unworthy that I should have a bed that's just comfortable. I should be sleeping on a plywood board. You know, I don't do that. I'm like, hey, this is good. And a lot of times I thank God that he allows us to have a bed because we have slept on some nasty mattresses over the years. Um, and uh, so, abide in my love. There's another aspect. That's another aspect of this new command. Uh, and then again, I don't know if in verse, tw verse 12, my pages are trying to blow away. Verse 12, he says, and this is my command that you love one another, even as I've loved you. So kind of a repeat of the end of chapter 13. And then he goes on and explains, no greater love does anyone have than this. Then he lays down his life, his soul life, for his friend. How do you lay down your soul life? This is more than being willing to die for a person. This is being able to lay down your aspirations. What do I want most out of life? What are the things that I aspire to? What do I want? This would be like Josh and Ben at this moment in time going, you know what? God gave us this other opportunity. We're not doing Ace Hardware anymore. We're just giving up on that aspiration. And we'd all go, we'd all look at them and go, are you nuts? You're so close. But that would be maybe just kind of a real world example that God, what if God gave you? What if God presented an opportunity for you to serve somebody else, but there was something that you've aspired to and you were able to just go, I, I don't have to do that. I don't have to do that. This opportunity is a bigger deal. So that would be, thanks for letting me use you for an example. So I want that as hardware, so I hope God doesn't do that. No, <laughs> that's a horrible thing to say. The rapture happens tomorrow. I'm ready to go. Yeah, there you go. Ready there you go. go. Somebody else will finish this. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody else will pay for it. Yeah. Ain't going to be any of us. <laughs> but I think verse 13 is another way of stating that new command that shows you how this becomes command. It's a good way of showing it because there's a lot of Christians and a lot of people that they will love as long as it's something that's kind of convenient or easy for them. But to actually have to put themselves out and actually have to give up something that they really like, that they really want, that they aspire to, like going to bed at a reasonable time? I mean, I, I, I am not in any way trying to say I am great at this, but I mean, I've had over the years, I've had people where you get phone calls. I had, I've had a couple believers over the years that give you a phone call like at midnight and they want to come and meet with me right now. And you get out of bed and you get dressed and you go over and sit at the church and meet with them for an hour or so, and, you know, at 12.30 and 1 in the morning. That's not what I aspire to at that time. I'm an early to bed person most of the time. So, but it's just, there are things. I, we, and we all know that. I think probably all of us have been there at one time or another. I mean, you do it for your kids. <laughs> Mostly because you don't really have a choice. You know, do you go to bed and just listen to them cry down the hall all night? But... But you can also do it out of love. And so, again, these are some examples of, of what he's talking about here in terms of commands, how he takes his command to love, and then he continues to restate it and restate it and kind of adding little little details that kind of expand on it. So you're saying then that that commands at the end of 15 is referring to different ways that we can live out the one command of love one another. I believe so. I believe so. In other words, that we really have one chief 
responsibility in the church. It's the biggest responsibility, and it's the church. It's a place where every church we over here. It's probably our biggest struggle, and I'm going to say this is probably the biggest struggle with just about every church on the planet, and that is really loving other believers, really knowing what it is to lay down your life for other people. It's easy to love when it's convenient, but when it really asks something of us, that's hard, and that's what takes the spirit. If it's hard for you, that means you're trying to do it yourself, but the spirit's the one that gives us love as part of the fruit from the spirit so that it really isn't hard. It is, it is unhuman. I shouldn't say that. It's not. What's a good way to put that? Because it is. Because Christ demonstrated. It is divine. It is supernatural. There, that's the word we're looking for. Thank you. I was at a loss for how to what word to use. It's supernatural. It's it's God's divine kind of love that we get to demonstrate. And it's uh, it's our it's our most important calling. Another example of this. It's interesting that John picks this up when he writes in 1 John, and you have several ways that he restates it over in 1 John. And without going over there, one of the ones I always think of that goes along with this greater love is the statement in 1 John 3, verse 16. And then he says, following that, he says that if, he says, if you see your brother, I look at you and he uses a word, in fact, it's a word we're going to come to, not tonight, but in one of the next couple weeks, where you look at somebody and you see a need and you really can see that they've got it. It's not just, you kind of think that they've got that need. You really can see that they've got that need. It's plain. And then you just shut it up and like, oh, and your gut kind of rolls out there. You're kind of like, oh man, oh man, I really feel for them. Oh, I'm not going to feel anything. Saving that money for vacation. I'm not going to help them out. <laughs> and so you, you do that. And he says, how does God's love dwell at ease in you? If you can be that way. See, that's human. See, that's human love. If it's convenient, if I've got extra, I've got this set aside for what I want, but I've got some extra and I can use my extra to help the person. See, that's easy. But to actually use what you've set aside for what you most want to do, what you most want to get, whatever it might be. And so he's talking about you have the things of this world to meet their need and you don't do it. So there's a, another good example. And I think that that's a good expression of this greater love is no man than this, than to lay down his life. Because he quotes that. John quotes that. But he fleshes it out in terms of using the resources God's given you to help somebody else. And one of those resources over there, we immediately think of the resources in terms of material things, food and clothing. But one of those resources is your time. One of those resources is your time. Just being able to willing to give your time to other people. So does that answer that for the moment? Okay. So now, so now we're going to go down back to John chapter 14 in verse 16. And he says, and I will ask. And remember, we talked last week about the fact that the asking we get to do back in 13 and 14 is expressed by a verb in the Greek, which is the verb iteo, which is asking as a lesser to a greater but Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he does not use that. He uses eritao. He's asking between equals. John 14, 16. I'm sorry. John 14, 16. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another comforter, helper, encourager. We'll talk about that in just a minute here, that he might be with you into the age. So first thing. And everybody knows who this is. I mean, it, you've all been through a Bible study someplace at some time 
or you've read through this yourself, and you all know verse 17, it's the Spirit. He's out talking about the Holy Spirit. My Bible even capitalizes the Yeah, because it's definitely, it's a person, it's a person of Godhead. God the Spirit. It is. Oh, okay. It is the Spirit. No, it is. Yeah, verse 17 says that the Spirit of the truth. I heard you say isn't. Okay, well, I, 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 I might have. You never, you never know. My wife's always telling me that I'm saying something, and I'm like, I didn't think that. I thought I said this, and she goes, no, you said this. Okay, so anyway, I will ask the Father, and we'll give you another. The word another we have, we have a couple of words in the New Testament that express something that is other. We have heteros, that means other that is different. Different kind of other. A different kind of other. And this is alas, which is a similar kind of other. Now, similar to what? Here's the question. What does he mean by similar? Similar to what? Similar to Christ. For the last three years, who has been the helper and comforter to these 11 disciples. Christ has. They had a need. They had a question. They came and they talked to him. They had needed help, you know. And Jesus goes up on the mountain. He comes down the mountain. The disciples are down there, and the guy comes up and he goes, I brought my son to, to your disciples because they've got a demon, and they can't cast him out. You know, and what, Jesus walks right up and casts him out. He helped do something that they could not do. So the other then means it's another like Jesus Christ. So he will give you. Second thing that we have here is we have this word that's translated helper, comforter, encourager. Now, um, there's one of the Bibles I like to read their notes. It's called the Net Bible, New English Translation, the Net Bible. And the Net Bible is like this much text and this much notes. It's, it's got a load of, of translation notes and all kinds of stuff that they have in there. And it, they've got a long note on this, on how hard it is to translate this. They give you like four options for translating this word, and they show you the strength and the weaknesses of every translation. And they chose to go with the word helper, but they even realized helper comes with a con. What's a help? What does helper come with the connotation? What? That you have a part in this. Yeah, yeah. In other words, first year we were here. Katie's in kindergarten. She went to afternoon kindergarten. There was a lady that had a house over here, and she needed her front and back doors replaced, and so they hired me to replace those. So I worked on that, went and picked up Katie. Peggy was gone for the day uh, with Carol to, yeah, come on. I picked up Katie, and I'm like, what am I going to do? I've got this five-year-old now, and I'm working on this house. And, oh, I remembered one of my professors in seminary. You probably remember this. He was trying to build something, and his little son was underhand, so he took a board and he started like 10 nails in there, gave his son a hammer and his son stood there and pounded on those nails. And I said, would you like to help dad? Yes. Because she was constantly, I want to go home. When are we going to go home? I want to go home. And I'm like, I've got, <laughs> I've got an hour or so. I can't leave this house with no door on the front. I had to finish this door. And uh, so I, I took a board and I put a bunch of nails in it and sat her down out in the grass out there at five and she sat and banged away on nails for a good half hour and it let me get a lot of work done on the door. And he was using it for a whole other illustration, but it actually worked. But the thing is, we have that idea, don't we? I remember my dad, when I was in fourth grade, started taking me on construction jobs in the summer. And 90% of the time, I'm standing there, nothing to do. But when he needed somebody to hold something, paying me, 
a buck an hour was a lot cheaper than paying another carpenter seven bucks an hour to stand there and help him hold stuff or stand there on the ready with supplies, see? And so I, the reason I use all those illustrations is because when we, when we say that the spirit, we say this, he's a helper, it can give the connotation that we're doing something and he's assisting. <laughs> he's just kind of like the assistant and he's not. He's really doing something we could not even do without him. It's just not possible. So as long as we have that in mind, helper, I think, is actually, this is the way I've been choosing to translate it over the last many years. Uh, yeah, the other ideas of comforter, the, the word, let's put it this way, this particular word is built on the word for encouragement or exhortation. Those are the two key ways it's translated in our Bibles. But this particular noun, is used, only used five times. Four times by Jesus here in the upper room, every time it's the Holy Spirit. And one time John uses it in 1 John 2 of Jesus Christ himself. And that's over in 1 John 2.2 2 or 2.1 where he says, if we sin, we have an advocate. That's where Bible, an advocate facing the Father. And it's not a lawyer. That's the way I used to think it is. But it's actually a helper. It's a character witness. I go to trial. I'm called up on trial. I got to go in there. And I say, Ben, I need a character witness. So he's not my lawyer. He's going to stand up front and say, I've known Tim for this many years, and I've never known Tim to be like that. I've known Tim to be somebody that's helpful. Don't lie. Tell the truth. But you know what I'm saying. You know, that's what, that was what an advocate was. And that's what Jesus stands there. He stands up and goes, I'm his righteousness. Because it says that. Jesus the right, Jesus the righteous. So he stands there and he goes, I'm his righteousness, Father. It settles the whole, thing, whole issue when Satan makes accusation against us. So this helper, what is it that he does? And this is what we'll spend the rest of the evening looking at. We'll just look at these statements that Jesus uses here of ac actually what the helper does. So in this context, he says he's going to um, ask for a helper for us that will remain with us into the age. That's one of the other things. And we'll cover this in our next study. We're not going to cover it tonight just because we're not going to have, it, we would be here too long. But into the significance of into the age for us to remember is in the Old Testament, if you were a believer, you didn't get the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? People didn't get the Holy Spirit because they got saved in the Old Testament. You know who got the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament? People that God wanted a power to be a king or a prophet, things like that. To do a special task. Yeah, to do a special task, like put the Spirit on people to help make the stuff for the tabernacle. Exactly. So the Spirit had a completely different function in the Old Testament than what he's doing today. And on top of that, if you did get the Spirit in the Old Testament, there was no guarantee the Spirit was going to stick around. So Samson, two times it says the Spirit rushed upon him. And then after he is stupid enough to tell Delilah, oh, this is how it's done, and they cut his hair off, when he wakes up, it says in the Hebrew, he did not know that Jehovah had gone from upon him. Your English Bible says he didn't know that he had left. But in the Hebrew, went from being upon him. He didn't know that. Same thing happens to Saul. The Holy Spirit comes on Saul when Samuel anoints him. Saul disobeys God, and when when Samuel goes to anoint David, it says that the Spirit departed from being upon Saul. So the Spirit could leave. We have the, that verse in this, is it the Psalms, take not thy spirit from me? Psalm, people love to sing that. Yeah, yeah. Peg and I, we, we, our campus group, yeah. 
they'd sing that song. They'd sing that song 51. The three people up there playing guitars on stage and everybody's singing this. And I'd never sung this song in my life. And they get to that and I'm like, I'm not singing. Why are we singing this? He's not going to take the spirit from me. And I told that to a pastor and the pastor goes, well, we ought to have that attitude. I said, why? God's promised us he's not going to take the spirit. So it's, that would be like, that would be like me going to my wife every day. Don't leave me, Peg. Don't leave me. After a while, she'd slap me in the face and go, what's the matter with you? I told you I'm not going to do that, you know? So why would we be telling God, don't take your spirit from me if God's promised that he's not going to do that? So the promise, the end of verse 16, is that the spirit will remain with you into the age. So when the ESV translates it to be with you forever, that's actually kind of confusing. Because into the age means... It... it it's, <laughs> well, just in simple time, I think it's he's he's going to carry he's going to continue to be with us until God's done with this work that he's doing with the church. When when we're out of here, we won't need it anymore. Right. He's here guaranteeing that Christ is going to get all of his inheritance. Josh has gone over that with us several times. That's what he's doing. He's guaranteeing that we're going to get everything God promised, but also that the spirit is going to get that. So. Although I I know you've got several anyway yeah we we won't say any more about that okay verse so when he's talking about the helper let's just take a look at these these passages what? first I said you can't you can't say more about that though it's a it's a big can of worms okay don't open the can we'll talk about it later yeah it's a, it's a whole study even the spirit of truth verse seventeen yeah well I this, 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 <laughs> This, this, study. I was listening. I was listening last week. I can't remember his name. Eck, I think, is the guy's last name. He He's a professor out at Shepherd Seminary out in North Carolina or something. But he was speaking on a conference. He was talking about the dark side of the Reformation. And he was talking about one of the things that, it, that people that are true reformers do is that they baptize infants. And the reason they baptize infants is because they believe that baptism corresponds to circumcision in the Old Testament. And circumcision was how you brought people into the covenant family of Israel. Well, just the boys, obviously. And so then over here, we now sprinkle or pour water on infants to bring them into covenant family. This is what the reformers teach. There's no scripture that teaches that. It's a theological construct they've created. And he was talking about John MacArthur that does not believe that. John MacArthur would believe what we believe about baptism. You only baptize people that are believers. But he was friends when he was still alive. He was friends with R.C. Sproul. And R.C. Sproul is died in the wool reformed. Okay, R.C. Sproul would probably look at me and say, I don't know that you're saved because I've never made an absolute sold out absolute total commitment to God that I've been able to follow through on. I blow it some days and I do what I want to do anyway. And R.C. Sproul settled the issue by going up and he wrote on the board continuity. He says, we have to believe there's a continuity of scripture from the old to the new Testament, that the new Testament is just a carry on of the old Testament. This is, and the thing is most Christians are going, Oh yeah, yeah oh, I agree with that. But the problem is there isn't, there's, actually, there's continuity, but there's also discontinuity. Remember when we did that study where we looked at a whole bunch of Old Testament themes several years back, or three or four years back, or whenever that was? And every one of those studies we did, we had one of the goals. 
what is continuous between this and today and what is discontinuous. What's similar and what's different. Compare and contrast. And most people never do that. They just, continuity is all they see. And so as a result, he thinks there has to be a counterpart to circumcision today. This is what he said. And the reason I say that is because they don't see that we are any different than Israel was. In fact, we are the true Israel to them. And so when they come to the expression into the age, they go, what? it's just we're always in the same age. For them, we're in the same age that Israel was in. This is the way they see this. And as a result of that, as a result of seeing that same age, they just want to look at it and they want to say, um, well, it's just the same thing. They're say, by saying forever, everybody goes, oh, okay. Because they just think it's going on and on and on and on and on. So I've been talking to some other people that had some questions about this in the last few days, and I've been answering those questions for on the phone with different people. So it's kind of fresh in my mind. Anyway, okay, now to what the helper does right in this context. Look down in chapter 14 here and look down in verse 26. 1420. Let's go to verse 25. These things I have told you while I was abiding with you. It says, but the comforter, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, that one will teach you all things and remind you of all things that I said to you. Now, how many things did Jesus say to you? Nothing. Nothing. So who's he talking to, really? Disciples. He's talking to the disciples. That's right. On top of that, well, I, I, we have to be a little cautious of this. Do you just do you just sit at home and just the Holy Spirit just teaches, just downloads truth to you? No. How how has God designed us to get truth? Through the Word, Through the word and people. through teachers. That's why he's. That's why he. And we looked at that a couple weeks ago in connection with the statement up above that he's given people that were gifted. He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, and shepherd teachers to share truth with us. Okay, so we need teachers. People gifted helps. Yeah, and, and yeah, and there's other people that, there are other people that have teaching gifts other than those, those four, but those were the four that he mentions in there. And so, we, this is where, where we come by it, and so this is a promise of the, the helper of the Holy Spirit that you and I benefit from secondhand from the apostles. When we get this, it's really fun to read, even, because this is sad, this is evangelical scholars, people that we would think really are where we are, that they read the Gospels and they're like, where would Matthew have got that from? What, what, what would have been Matthew's background that he would have thought of that and written that down? I'm like, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. How did, how did Matthew know that Jesus, how did he remember that John 14, 26, Jesus promised them that the Holy Spirit would remind them of the things that they'd say, they say that he said. So when Matthew's writing and John is writing, because those are the only two gospels that are written by a disciple. They're trying to find an earthly explanation for something is what they're doing. And I always think, and they, then people come along, well, what about the Spirit's work? Well, yeah, 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 we do believe that, but we want to know how they figured it out. <laughs> People often want to deny the supernatural. Yeah. And they're, super, they're supernatural. Yeah, that's right. And then we have the other ones. Luke 
is collecting information from a lot of other people. We presume several of them being disciples. And then we have Mark, who church history says, uh, in fact, Papias, who was uh, sat under John, Papias said that Mark wrote down what Luke taught, or not what Luke taught, what Peter taught. He was Peter's right-hand man. And so, and so Mark is, is a lot of, considered by many people sort of to be Peter's gospel or a record of what Peter taught. And so this promise here in verse 26 of the work of the Holy Spirit is what? It's that the Holy Spirit was going to help teach these disciples these new things that they needed to know and to remind them of the things that Jesus had said so that they had this, this clear, accurate memory of these things. This is the work of the Spirit. I wish the Holy Spirit would do that for us all the time. I wish he'd always remind me exactly of everything. But there's times that I'm like, somebody asks me a question, and I'm like, oh, i got to look over at Peg or look at Josh and go like, what's that verse? What's that verse? I'm, You know, because I don't have a promise that God is going to supernaturally give me a supernatural memory help. But the disciples were promised that. So, Tim... Yeah. What's the difference then between him making this statement in the same red letters, talking to the same group of people that there in verse 26, and him saying, I'll ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Why, do, why can we receive that promise, but we can't look at this and go, that's for me? Well, I think because the last part of that... Mm. Verse 26, he says, and he will remind you of all things that I said or I told or said to you. So it's just if we continue just looking at the rest of the verse, it's the things that he specifically told those disciples. He's going to remind them so of those Jesus things. because Jesus hasn't said anything to me. Yeah. I, let's, I, let's put it this way. Do I think that the Holy Spirit does something similar with us? Yeah, because I think if we've studied the Word of God, We've probably all been in a situation where we kind of know it's like, ah, and then God brings, and we're like, I can't tell you where it is in the Bible, but there's a verse that says, and we, you know, we can share something with, with somebody. So there is, an, there is an aspect that's similar to this, but it's not absolutely identical because we weren't sitting there hearing firsthand from the Lord Jesus Christ. So I think that that's really a, a key facet of understanding what he's talking about. And there is, there is also an aspect that John tells us over in 1 John 3 that the Spirit does teach us. He does teach us. In fact, he teaches us to abide in Christ over there at the end of 1 John, 1 John 2, not 1 John 3, the end of 1 John 2. So there is an aspect of this, but I really think that this promise in this particular context, if we're looking at this, is about them. In fact, there's, there's going to be, we're going to see some other promises in here that I think are very specific to the apostles. One of them, we're not going to get to tonight, but he says, I'm not going to leave you orphans. And that promise, I really think, was a promise to those disciples for the 40 days from the time of his resurrection to the time he was going to depart and send the Spirit. Because once the Spirit comes, they're not orphans anymore either. But in that window, he was going to be coming and going and being with them over the course of those 40 days so they wouldn't be orphans. But we'll go over that in a little bit more detail when we get there. But that, it's, a, that, it's a good question. I just, like I said, it's at the end of verse 26, I think, is the key. 
I, if, I would look at this and I'd say, he's going to teach you and remind you all things that I said. And I, if I stop there, I'm going to go, hey, that's really cool. But then I have to read that I said to you. And I'm like, oh, hmm, okay. That's something that he specifically is addressing to these guys right here. It was a special promise, yeah. What I would, is that okay if I make a comment? Yes. Um, no. I think there's personal promises to them, but there is a general construct, a general truth that's true still today, which is the Holy, you know, the Holy Spirit doesn't fill a vacuum. He doesn't, he can't bring, you know, you know, when you're out and you're, you know, you're involved in the world or whatever and, and, uh, you're in a situation, you're thinking right. Well, the Holy Spirit can't bring in any, anything to remembrance to you to utilize in that situation if you have an empty head. You have to have a background, a reservoir of knowledge that you've learned from God's Word for Him to bring something to remembrance to use at a particular time or an experience that you've built up from doing that. It also shows the character of God and how He was supernaturally and imbuing knowledge to them remembering and everything but that's the kind of god he is so it's consistent with his character like josh is saying that today yeah you know it's weird josh like what you just said i had a dream a few weeks ago and i was talking about i was talking god talked to me in my dream and i woke up and i was like man i said that really well like i i, I used that verse I've done this multiple times in dreamland. I'm like, I don't know, I always pull it up as well. A lot of times I, get, I say, hey, I'm going to give you the Ben Orth version. Translation. Translation. And uh, so, like, I know these verses, some of them. You know, I don't know it all. I'm not, as, I'm not as well memorized as others are for sure. But, yeah, in my dreams, I've done it a few times. So I've, I articulated that so well. So it's in there. It has to be in there because my dream guy can do it. Mm-hmm. We just need to get the real guy. He's the guy in the dreams. No, I've had similar dreams. Yeah. yeah like, where you wake up, like, are you so confident? And you're like, you wake up, you're like, oh, where did that come from? Yeah, I said that really well. Anyways, it was just interesting. So, yeah, you can't quote to somebody something you haven't learned at all. Um, and maybe this verse is not doesn't apply to us. But there's other verses you can see that the Holy Spirit's gonna be your guide. He's going to be your guide. He's your guide. So he will bring things to remembrance. Sorry, I, I think particularly also, when you look at these disciples, a lot of the stuff that Christ said to them, they had no clue. They had no clue, absolutely no clue, what Christ was talking about. Which guy? Sorry, that I say that again. Sorry, I was making sure. sure I think another aspect of this, with the specific promises to them as disciples that were becoming a New Testament apostles. Yeah, yeah. A lot of what they experienced in hearing Christ, it wasn't for then. It was for later, after they had the Spirit. Because they didn't, it was a different relationship. So they were going to learn these things. It was going to be in their gray matter. And then on the day of Pentecost, they'd get the Holy Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit is going to bring it back to remembrance. And now there's a whole lot of things, right? Yeah. And now it's going to be applicable to them. They're actually going to have the the mechanics to make the things that Christ spoke about <clears throat> happen. And, and I think we and we could connect another thing in here that we we went over a couple weeks ago for those of you that were here then when he was talking about the fact that uh, 
back in, in chapter 14 that we were going to do greater works. And we looked at a statement that Paul makes over in Ephesians 4 about, he says, What happened? We have somebody that got hit in the head with a rock, so we're just we're making sure she's okay. Um, anyway, Paul makes a statement over any... Do you need something? Or they... No, I just see my glasses. I can't see inside the house. Before. Okay. In Ephesians 4, Paul makes a statement about, he says, if you have heard him and been taught by him, talking about Jesus. And the Ephesians had never met Jesus. They were a long ways away. Jesus said, by the, by the time the Ephesians got saved, Jesus had been gone 20 years. So how did they heard him and been taught by him? In the context by the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherd teachers. And I I don't know if we've shared this here, but just to fill in a detail on evangelists, I've, I've, I'm really rethinking what he means by an evangelist. I don't, We think of evangelists as someone that goes and talks to unsaved people. But all an evangelist means is somebody that brings good news. And is there good news for you? Yeah. In fact, most of the time in the New Testament, when you have reference to good news, it's good news for Christians. <clears throat> so I think an evangelist can be, evangelist can be a kind of a teacher that's bringing good news. But anyway. Well, Philip on the road teaching the Ethiopian eunuch, right? Right. Which, is, he, is that Ethiopian eunuch an Old Testament believer that's coming into the New Testament or a brand new believer? There's, there's some question on that, but yeah. Yes. Is that why, um, like the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, like that? people that go to church are like have such great need all the time, in a way, because we went to Saddle Rock Evangelical Presbyterian when we first came to Wenatchee. And they were all like good news and like very open and welcoming. Charismatic. Yeah. Like they talked about good news all the time. What do you mean? Yeah, and there was like nothing negative ever, and it felt really off. Not that they were like hiding something, but just that they wouldn't <laughs> necessarily talk about bad stuff. I, you know, I'm just gonna have to say I don't know. I'm not familiar with them enough to be able to comment on that. So, yeah, because I mean, there, I mean, there are negative things you have to talk about once in a while, isn't there? I mean, we talked about that this last Sunday. When we we're talking about false teachers. It's not always fun to do that, but, but I mean, Titus actually said that that's something a pastor has to be ready to deal with is to deal with the false teachers. So, so there's a statement on being a helper. Let's go to chapter 15 and verse 26. John 15, 26. Get reference one time, John. 15, 26. Thank you. It says in John 15, 26, it says, And when the Helper, whom I will send to you from the Father, last time it said, Whom the Father will send in my name, now he says, I will send from the Father, the Spirit of the truth, which comes out from the Father, that one will testify about me. 
So he says, one of the things that the Holy Spirit's going to do is he's going to bear witness to who Jesus Christ is. And then he says in verse 27, and you will testify because you have been with me from the beginning. So clearly verse 27 is a reference to the disciples giving testimony to him. But that testimony that they give really is, it's not just theirs independent. It, there really is a connection on the fact that it follows in verse 26 that the Spirit is doing something here, that the Spirit's bearing witness to who Jesus Christ is. He's testifying to this. And I think that that's, um, well, it's going to lead into the next statement on this. And so let's flip over into chapter 16. <clears throat> and this is one of those times, too, like, it's like when Jesus talks, talks about his resurrection and I will raise myself the father's going to raise me you right know, in this multiplicity of, of the Godhead and here it's just you know if I wrote the Bible I wouldn't write it like this but I wouldn't be led by a spirit because I can't write the Bible right now right. but you know why he didn't just say hey I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and the father we're together we're going to send the Holy Spirit but you have to like parse these verses together anyways yeah. it's an interesting fact well and the, you most of you probably don't know this, but this actually split the East and the West Church. This verse, that idea, or yeah. The they, it's, they call it the Philoque and the Son in in Latin, and they it split them because the Catholic Church wanted to say the Spirit, the one that proceeds from the Father and the Son, and Philoque, Son, the the fond one, but the the. The Eastern Church, which we know as Orthodox, Greek Orthodox, Russian Orthodox, that church, they were like, nope, just the Father. You can't have the Son. Because they, they insisted in the Trinity, you have to have one person in charge. And the idea that the Father and the Son could both, even though there's scripture that says that he came from, and it split that church back, and I'm going to get the date wrong, but around 1100 or something like that, it caused what they called the, the great split there between the East and the West, which is why you end up now with the Orthodox and the, uh, and the Catholic Church in there. So, so yeah, so something like that that we look at, it actually became a very big deal in the larger scheme of religion under the, under the umbrella broadly of Christianity. Okay, let's go to verse 7, 16, 7. But I tell you the truth, it is better for you that I go away, for if I don't go away, and this is, I always think that this is a really important verse. If I do not go away, the, the helper will not come to you. And I remember reading an article 20, 25 years ago in a magazine, Christian magazine, in which a man wrote a whole article just bemoaning the fact that Christ wasn't still with us today. And why did he have to leave? And wouldn't, shouldn't we all be praying that Jesus should be with us every day, that he shouldn't have departed? And, and, he, and he said, most Christians wrestle their whole life with wondering why Jesus would choose to leave us here. And this is why he tells it right here. It's better I go away. If I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. Now, there are, there's a segment of, Christi of evangelical Christianity say only one person in Godhead can be on earth at a time. So the sun can come down here and then he has to go back so the spirit can come down. But that's not true. There's no way that says that. That's, they 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 get that out of this verse, but he's just saying, it's because I'm going to go there and I'm going to ask the Father to send the Spirit, and the Spirit's going to do something altogether different than was going on when Jesus was on the earth. So he says, he will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. And when that one comes, he will expose or reprove or convince the world 
concerning sin, righteousness, and of judgment. Concerning sin, because they don't believe on me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you do not see me, see me no longer. And verse 11, and of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Three things. The unsaved world, the Spirit does not come along and convince them that you're going to go to hell because you're drunk. You're going to go to hell because you're a homosexual. You're going to go to hell because you're a wife beater, you know, or whatever, you know, fill all the, the things in that people might think of as sins, you know, because the average sins that the average Christian, oh, those can't be that bad. We just have to think of really bad sins that these people are guilty of. But that's not what he convinces them of. He convinces them, he says very plainly, of the sin that they don't believe in him. That's the issue. Do they believe in Jesus Christ or don't they believe in Jesus Christ? Second of all, and of righteousness, because I go to the Father and you see me no longer. How can the Son go to the Father? What does he have that we need? According to that verse. What does he have that we need? What? No, it's right in that verse. Righteousness. Yeah. He, we can get righteousness by believing in him. And we need that righteousness. And he goes to the Father. And lastly, if you remain a sinner, you um, don't have that righteousness, then lastly, verse 11, and of judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. And if the ruler gets judged, where do we get off? Now, this is the whole thing. When we talk with an individual about the gospel, what do we have to tell them? What do they need to know? That's right. And there's two promises that Peter and Paul connect to that. You believe that you're forgiven. The sin issue is taken care of. And you're righteous. Plain and simple. It, it, which connects exactly to that. Now here's the question. And early on when I learned this verse, 30 years ago or whenever it was, um, I thought this is the way. I thought this is what I was supposed to do. But who who does it say does this? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does this. So is it my job to try to go through and convince them you don't believe in Jesus Christ? No. Is it my job to try to convince them you can only be righteous through Jesus Christ? No. Is it my job to say, if you don't believe, you're going to hell. You're going to burn. It's not my job. It's not my job. In fact, I always think it interesting. When you go to Acts 10 and you read Peter, you go to Acts 13 and you read about Paul, and you hear them sharing the gospel, neither one of them threatened the people in any way with hellfire and brimstone, despite the fact that we still have people today that think that that's what Christians need, or people, not Christians, what people need in order to be scared into heaven scared into believing. My job is to present the gospel. And you know what? If the Holy Spirit isn't doing this, I'm going to present that gospel and it's going to fall on deaf ears. But if it's happening, you're going to have a person, you're going to share that message and they're going to be like, ah, I've needed to hear this. <laughs> Maybe they won't act that way exactly. Maybe inside they're thinking, oh, this is exactly what I need to hear because the Spirit is convincing them of their, those needs. <clears throat> but I can't convince them of that. I can try, but I can't make them feel guilty. I can't do any of that. I can try, but it's not going to happen. So this is so this is this really is a, is a big one for us. 
it it takes it takes the the pressure off of you that all you have to do is be ready to share the gospel when God gives you that opportunity. And there's a verse over in the book of Acts, which we're not going to go to, but it tells us over there when, when Paul is uh, Paul is sharing, it says, And all those who were placed in order to eternal life believed. In other words, God had a group of people that he'd already placed in order. The Spirit was convincing them. He was getting them ready. Paul was there. Paul gave them the gospel, and they believed. There was a whole bunch of other people in that synagogue that God didn't do that in them. And guess what? They walked away not believing. In fact, they wiped, They came back the next week and they were like, oh, Paul, you and the Gentiles all the time. So three ways right here in this context that he tells us that the Spirit helps. Are there a lot of other ways that the Holy Spirit helps us? Yeah, because there's a whole series of ministries that the Holy Spirit is doing. In fact, there's a lot of people, even people, even people of the Reformed faith, they look at, at the New Testament and they oftentimes call this the period or the age of the Spirit because it is so, the, the Spirit's ministry is so pronounced in, in our function today. And, uh, but that's another study for another day. Any comments or questions here? Something that was racking through my head there in the last five minutes, um, as you were talking about this Christ leaving so that the Holy Spirit can be sent. Um, so I'm thinking, like, when Christ is on the earth, right, he's in one place, he's capable of being in more than one place, but his physical body, one place. And yet, after he ascends, and the age of the church, the scriptures indicate that he's living inside. You know, whether you don't understand that with all the theology attached to it, or you just say, hey, Jesus lives in me like a little kid. You know, like, mm -hmm. Obviously, when he's walking the earth, he's not living, not living in us. Um, so anyway, I'm just thinking it's interesting that he said, hey, unless I go to the Father, you know, the Holy the Spirit won't come. The Spirit comes, but, but Christ, in a sense, comes make residence too. That's what's an interesting, I don't know, I'm just, it's interesting he said, hey, if I gotta go away so the Holy Spirit can come. He kinda had to go away so that you could actually come and reside in more than one place and so you could impart eternal life into the believer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Can I comment also? Yeah. You have, hey Josh, you I always like how you always ask. Anytime, brother. Well, I don't wanna just speak over anybody. But um, there's three relationships. There's God, where God resides, where God resides. So the Father's in the throne room. The Son is to his right hand. And it's Jesus Christ is there also. I mean, that's the glorified human being. That yeah, is agreed. Yeah. God. Yeah. And then the Holy Spirit resides down here. So that's one relationship, where he resides, his residency. Yep. And... From residency, God exhibits more of his character than he does when he indwells. So omnipresence would be the first relationship. God's everywhere. All three persons are everywhere at all times. And residency is where you would go find him. Where spirit, it's usually spirit beings, but there'll be a day where we move 
speed of thought, but we'll go where Christ goes, right? So you have the you have residency, you have omnipresence, residency, and then indwelling. So indwelling is different than omnipresence, is different than residency. It's a so it's another relationship God can have how he expresses himself. And I would say it's lesser than residency. So you say that in his current residency, that is where he's strongly advocating. So where the Holy Spirit is resident on earth and he has all these ministries he's doing, he also indwells us. Yes. So there, there's two things going on. So I mean, you're saying to... that his residency is not the same as his indwelling of us. So Christ is, according to Scripture, seated at the Father's right hand. Right. I was the he I was referring to was the Spirit. 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 Okay. Yeah. Say your question or comment again. That his residency is different than his indwelling of us. Oh. But I would say that they're related because he is resident here. That's why he doesn't dwell believers down here. That's part of what he's doing. But it's not it's not identical. Then what's the Christ in me? That is Christ in you, literally. Same thing. It's not. It's not the same thing. It's Jesus. <laughs> no. It's the Christ, Christ in you is Jesus Christ in you. It's not the Holy Spirit in you. Yeah, so what is that? When Okay, when you got when you get saved, yeah. The Holy Spirit baptizes us into Christ. But when he puts us into Christ, he also puts us into the Father. And he also he also puts us into him. We only have a couple of statements that say we're in him. So so God has this where he sees all of us up there in heaven in that relationship. Yes. But then at the same time, the Holy Spirit regenerates us or causes a new birth. And in that, he joins he comes to dwell in us and joins himself to us. But he also joins us to Christ. So Christ is in there. And the Father's in there. But we get different things. We get these ministries of the Spirit because He dwells us. But when Christ indwells us, that's how we get eternal life. Well, we could get that from the Spirit, but God hasn't chosen to do it that way. The choice of the of the of the Godhead is that we get eternal life because the Spirit is in us. Because <laughs> Christ is in us. We get a new nature. We become children of God because the Father dwells in us. Scripture attributes our, our childhood, our as being children of God to the Father. See? So so the scriptures tell us very plainly, I always look at it this way. The Trinity works harmoniously together in accomplishing their purpose and accomplishing salvation. And they're not like the three stooges that are all trying to do the same job at the same time. So when they save us, each one of them is doing something. <laughs> Father dwells and shares with his seed so that we become really his children. On a spiritual level. spiritual level, which means in the realm of my spirit, I really do have some characteristics of my of God the Father. Now in the realm of my spirit, some I'm not omnipresent, but some because Christ is. I really do have eternal life. I really, I literally have God's kind of life in me now. Every believer does because I'm joined to Christ, and the Spirit's in there to take all of that. And do all these other things that Christ said he was going to do, which we haven't all got to all of them yet, but to do these other things that make it possible for us to actually live a Christian life, to actually live it out, to produce fruit. Yeah, take, say, I think take, fruit's a big part of that. Yeah. Current, one of the aspects of the current ministry. Which goes back to the to love, which is not the only part of the fruit, but it's <clears throat> the first thing in the list. So Maybe we're too far past this, and I'm stating the obvious now, but... In 16, when he says that if 
he doesn't go away, the helper won't come to us. I mean, going away, dying, going up to the Father so that his sacrifice is accepted, so we're moving on to the next phase with all three of them in us. I mean, isn't that, that's as simply as all that is. Uh, he hadn't died yet. He hadn't gone to the Father to have his sacrifice accepted. So, I mean, it's not that they couldn't both be here. Well, when he's saying these words, he had. He had, right? He had come. No. No, this is the night. He's going to be betrayed within a matter of hours of oh, saying this. Okay. Yeah, he'll be in the garden and be betrayed. Oh, so it wasn't that they, it's not that they can't both be here. It's that he hadn't. Yeah. Right. The sacrifice hadn't happened Ultimately, the reason he, the whole, he had to leave is because that was the plan. That's yeah. right. That was right. the plan. It wasn't that two persons of Godhead can't be on earth at once. Right. It was, that was the plan. And he was doing everything his father planned. Setting the stage. Holy Spirit's So at what moment would you say that Christ, right, crucified, buried, he's alive, he walks among them for a period of 40 days, 40, set. 40 days, going to do the weeks, five, six weeks, and he ascends. Would you say at Pentecost, the time they got the Spirit, at what point does Christ bring that eternal life down to humanity? Right then. Right then. Right then. Yeah. The minute the Spirit sent, He begins all those works that Christ had promised. In fact, we didn't get to it, but my favorite verse in the upper room, 1420, in that day, what day? The day I'm going to send the Spirit. In that day, you will know, I'm in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. All of it was going to start on that day. That's when it was going to start. And again, well, because people want continuity, a lot of Christians do not appreciate the fact that, that a whole new thing started that day. A whole new thing, a whole new thing with a whole bunch of new stuff attached to it. Yeah. Is that one of the... Um Nominations for potential new church name, John 1420 Church? I haven't looked through any of the church name. <laughs> I picked up one sheet and somebody had like eight names on it. And I was like, oh. oh I wonder who that was. <laughs> Man, I'm excited to hear all eight, Josh. If that's I you, that I want to hear them. I, I was still texting him more names later. <laughs> well, I, I, I said the church that Holster built, but he didn't want to go. Yeah. See, I don't know. I, I, I picked him up. And I just kind of flipped through, but I wasn't looking at names. I was just, and I saw my wife's because I recognized her handwriting. I don't know anybody else's handwriting. So I'm, I'm letting somebody else do that. I don't want to be looking and seeing what other people are writing now. Yeah, it's good. It's great. No, it's cool. I mean, I'm just saying, John 14, 20, that's a, that's a good verse. Yeah, there, there were some very long names that some people had thrown out that right? on that one sheet that I saw. So. Well, city dispensational theological church. <laughs> Let's not do that. That would be worse than the first. Again, nobody would know what that is. Yeah, that's the whole that's the whole deal. Yeah.